So like Chip mentioned, we're in week two of this sermon series called The Greatest Prayer. And it, it occurs to me, and we mentioned this last week, that sometimes when we think of what might be Jesus' greatest prayer, we're probably not thinking about this one in John 17. We're probably thinking of the Lord's Prayer. How many of you have heard Lord's Prayer? You're familiar with that. Have that memorized maybe. Uh, you used to say that maybe growing up the church, if you grew up in the church. How many of you like have John 17 memorized, that, that prayer? Like, Okay. I can't. Oh, I got to duck down. Oh, all right. A couple of us uh, do have 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 that memorized. That's amazing. Um, there there are a lot of different prayers I think in our cultural experience of Christianity that are familiar to us, and and we kind of go around. Maybe we'll say those things in certain situations, and I'll identify a couple of those before uh, here in in just a minute. But, but some of those prayers, like what they actually have to say are, are kind of interesting, and they expose some things about maybe what we believe and how we act and, and those kinds of things as, as Christians. For example, you guys ever heard of the bedtime prayer? Are you familiar with that one? The whole, now I lay me down to sleep. What is it? I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Okay, that's fine, right? That's good. All right, what, yeah, what's the next? What, what happens? What's the next line? I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, I'm just going to, let's just pause right there. And, and I'm just going to, like, just straight up be honest with you. If that's the prayer that I prayed, like, every night before I went to bed, I wouldn't get much sleep. <laughs> I, you, you start to, you know, um, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's, that's good. I think, I think that's kind of consistent with the promise of God. Uh, if I should die before I wake... That's morbid, you know, and, and of course, those, typically we're praying that with, with our kids uh, when, when they're going, like, let's teach you this fun prayer that you can be scarred for life on uh, for, for, forever. When you think about Jesus, you're thinking about whether or not you're going to die in your sleep. Uh, and, then, and then I pray the Lord my soul to take, which I get, like, on the surface, generally speaking, I, I, most of us would consider that to be a good thing. But, but, like, does that mean that there's a possibility or an opportunity where that might not happen? Like, like, is there a scenario in which, as I fall asleep, that the Lord might not take my soul? You know, and, and, go, and so what, what are the implications? Of, like, how do I figure that out? Anyway, some of, the, some of the prayers we pray, like, if you really dig into it, and some of you are thinking, you're overthinking it just a little bit there, buddy. But if you really get into what the words say, and then even how that impacts how we live out our lives, or the implications uh, that those things have on us, they, they start to sound kind of strange. Like, it, it matters that we pay attention to the words that we're saying when we pray. And this is all the more important when it's Jesus and he's praying his longest recorded prayer for us in the Bible. There's some other prayers that we say, for example, that have some interesting implications. Do you ever pray, pray to bless the food? Before? I mean, I have. So maybe you pray before you eat. And if you don't, like, that, that's fine. No, no perfect people allowed or anything like that. Uh, but, but maybe you've prayed specifically, bless the hands that have prepared it. Yeah, that's cool. That's fine. And we, you've also prayed to bless the food. Now, Let's talk about that for for just a second. Let's bless the food. What does that mean? What what does it mean to bless the food? This inanimate object. No, okay, just kidding, just a little bit. But what does it communicate about what we think already about how God has called this food good since the very beginning and that he's always promised us that we don't have to worry or be anxious about where our next meal is coming from because he's going to provide those things for us. And so then you start to think, okay, wh- what if then this food, this food is already blessed? 
And, and then the thinking, the thinking that we have about God's provision, his promises, those things being represented in, right there in front of us and how maybe that shifts that, that prayer from asking God to bless something to thanking him for what he's already blessed and how he's already blessed us for those things. All right, just something to chew on, just something to think. And I'm not saying don't, don't bless the food ever again. I'm not saying don't pray before you eat or anything like that. No, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But thinking about how those words affect us uh, is important. Or have you ever prayed the, the prayer, God be with us, or God be with me? And, and as a disciple of Jesus, I just want you to consider, is there ever a scenario in your life where God is not already with you, that his presence isn't already with you? In Psalm chapter 139, David writes an entire poem, a piece of, of art in which he describes how there is nowhere in his life that he can be where God is not already with him. As disciples of Jesus, one of the things that we're promised and that Jesus promises for us that we're better off if he goes and prepares a place for us with us in mind, that he leaves us with his Holy Spirit because we have the constant indwelling, always present counselor, helper, advocate for us in our life. That sometimes when we pray prayers, you know, the things that we're saying says more about us and where our heart and our mind and our soul is versus where God might be because God is always with us. He's always He's always present. You know, it's one of the things, like, like a, as a church, it, it's not a, a thing for us to say, hey, we're going to invite God's presence into this place as we're worshiping or as we're singing, because we recognize he's already here. He's already with us, and he's already made that promise for us. And that starts to change our mindset, starts to change our perspective. It tr- starts to change how we live out our life and our faith as a result of those things. Um, and so the same thing is true for what Jesus has to say in this prayer. And I know some of you are like, yeah, that's why we don't make eye contact with people when they ask us to pray, because we're afraid we're going to pray the wrong thing. And I, I just want to let you know, the Holy Spirit is a great ch- uh, translator, all right? So, so you don't have to worry about that at, at all. And he's more than capable for that. But what we say and what we believe are inextricably linked to what we do as disciples of Jesus. And part two of Jesus' prayer in John 17 uh, gives us a clear picture of what that looks like. So we're going to be looking at John 17, chapter 6. And we're going to be in a, in a good chunk of this chapter, so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to that, to be looking at that, your phone, tablet, whatever it might be. So you can be in John 17, maybe highlight some things and write some notes. Uh, because as Jesus turns his attention from the beginning of his prayer and his desire to bring glory to God for the glory that he's about to reveal uh, in him, and that this would be the basis for the eternal relationship that we're all invited into with God, Jesus now begins praying for the disciples that are there with him in the room. And so in John chapter 17, verse 6, Jesus uh, says this in his prayer. I've revealed you, talking about God, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the word you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. A lot of, th- a lot of times I think, it, it, I know this is true for me, I'm just assuming it's true for a lot of us, that when we think about prayer, that this is something that just happens between us and God, that this is just a, 
simply a vertical thing uh, between us. And so we'll ask that God will bless us. We'll ask that God will take care of us. We'll ask that God will protect us, watch over us uh, in terms of things that are happening between us and him and things that are, uh, that, are, that are a part of our lives. But some of the most powerful prayers that we can pray in our life are prayers for other people or the, power, or the prayers that people pray for us. Those can be some of the more meaningful moments that we have in prayer. And Jesus himself, God in the flesh, turns his heart and his mind to praying for the most important people in his life, his disciples, the people that have been with him through thick and thin through his entire ministry. It's a very touching, intimate moment that we get to sit in on and see and hear about that Jesus has with his followers. Now, Jesus has hundreds of disciples uh, by this time. He's had thousands of people that have gathered around him to hear his teaching, uh, to listen to what he has to say, to consider following him. But this prayer right here, in, in the context of, of what's going on as Jesus is gathering with his disciples, is with 11 other people. Originally, it was 12 men who had been called as disciples or apostles to follow Jesus. Uh, one of them, uh, whose name is Judas, was Judas, uh, has already gone astray from this gathering. Uh, and Jesus is praying specifically about what is going to happen through these, these, these guys. This group is about to change the world. And not like in one of those uh, ways that, you know, it's really not that significant. Like I, I've told people, for example, if you put a Reese's cup uh, instead of a Hershey's bar in your s'more, it will change your life. Which is true. I mean, it, it, it is true. Like, that will change your life if you've never tried that before. But, but this, is, this is really, like, actually going to change the world. The whole, uh, the whole globe has been reshaped, ha has been remade based on Jesus being shared throughout, throughout our, our entire world. The disciples are, are going to change the world through what God has revealed to them through Jesus. And it's all going to be through their planned obedience to what Jesus has called them to do. Um, there, there's two quick things that what Jesus has to say, what, what, he, prays, uh, what he prays about, uh, identify some important things for us. One is that God has a plan for, for us. Because I think the same thing is true for us that's true for the disciples as, he, as he's praying for him, is that God, God hand-selected these people to follow Jesus for a particular reason. He had a special plan for these, these men. And there's this image of God looking around and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to handpick these people to be there in relationship along with, with my son. And to know that we're all invited into that relationship is a pretty powerful and important thing. I mean, it's, it's one of those things like when you have a child and you have a child biologically, like you get, you get what you get, right? I mean, and, and that's, 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 what you, that's, what you, uh, that's what you end up with. Uh, with God, it's very much a, hey, I'm choosing you specially, and I'm choosing all of you as a result of that. We're called adopted children throughout Scripture when it comes to our relationship with God, and that's an amazing and a beautiful thing that he chooses us. It's not just that he stuck with us, but that he chooses us very specifically and specially, and it says a lot about, um, it says a lot about Jesus' disciples here in this context, and it also says a lot about God and how he desires relationship with us. The second thing is, is that these disciples took this knowledge of who Jesus is and how that reflects back to God, and they allowed it to change how they acted in their life. They chose obedience. 
Obedience is, is one of God's biggest goals in, in, in our life. And it's not just because like, he wants to see us jump through hoops and it's like, oh, let's see if I can get the lemmings to go this way, uh, that, that kind of thing. It's because he wants us to be able to experience the, the life that he always intended us to experience through the beginning. It's obedience that we're called to through, through Christ, and these guys did it. And here's why in verse 7. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. It's one thing to follow someone, for example. It's a whole other thing to follow someone because you know for a fact that they came directly from God and they are showing you the way that God wants you to live in this world. I would, I would venture to say that we follow a lot of different types of people, whether that's uh, social media or that's in entertainment or that's in our job, career, or friends. We have a lot of people in our life that we allow, whether we recognize it or not, to influence who we are, how we act, how we respond to things. And, and there's a lot of input that we allow into our lives from other people that cause us to follow them. And yet the most important thing that should overshadow all of that would be God in our lives. And these men took out all the rest of those inputs, put them so far to the side as to not be directed by those things eventually in their life and following God, and it changed, it changed everything. The fact that the disciples realized this and eventually preached this all over the world is how Jesus has changed the world. When we recognize that everything comes from, from, comes from God and we focus our lives toward honoring him, there's a blessing. There, there's a change, a life change that comes as a result of that. It's only when we realize that everything comes from the Father that we truly get it. And the Jesus says the disciples got that. And he's thankful in his prayer for that. This was a cornerstone message of the church as it began. Jesus came from, came from God, he died, he rose from the dead, and anyone who believes in him and comes to him will experience eternal life, eternal relationship with the Father. The disciples got that. And it wasn't programming, it wasn't a denomination, it wasn't branding, it wasn't a particular methodology that saved them and changed the world. It was Jesus. And that was the thing they focused their lives in on, and that was the thing that they shared with others. And while this is, like I said, is very specific, uh, contextually a prayer for them, one of the beautiful things that it communicates to all disciples of Jesus is that in addition to purposefulness, in addition to the protection that Jesus prays for over his disciples, uh, that the disciples of Jesus are at the forefront of his mind. That, that Jesus would even be concerned, you know, think, oh man, there's so many more things that, are, that could be more important that he could be more concerned about at this point in time in his life that maybe he would be worried about. That, that Jesus, Jesus was thinking about them, not about what was about to happen on the cross. That Jesus even now is preparing place, a place for us, keeping us at the forefront of his mind, not thinking simply that now he doesn't have to deal with us and he's back in his rightful position at the right hand of the Father. This is something that Jesus models for us that should be on our hearts and minds as well. This is something that should shift and, and cause our perspective to change when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to our actions as a result of that prayer, is that we should be on each other's hearts and minds, that we should be praying for each other, uh, that we be, should be concerned with protecting each other, making sure that we know God's word and that we're living it out, that we're spurring one another on to reflect God's glory. In verse 11, uh, Jesus says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Uh, us, us being together is, is part of the evidence. Our, our unity is part of the evidence 
uh, of Jesus' prayer of protection and this desire for us to share this with each other is actually true and active and at work in our life. And Jesus continues on, and he defines some parameters in which this unity uh, of the disciples will be experienced. In John chapter 17, starting in verse 13, he says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, I, I just want to say, like, this is a pretty special prayer for the disciples at, at, to this point, because they're the ones in, in focus here that's going on. But this is the moment, verse 15, I'm pretty sure, like, if everybody's looking around, Jesus is looking up heavenward, he's praying this prayer, everybody's kind of got their eyes, eyes uh, you know, closed, their heads bowed. This, this verse, verse 15, I think is the one where people start to kind of, like, open their eyes and kind of side glance to each other. Like, what, what's going on here? Like, I, I love what Jesus is saying. And then he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. It's like, what, what does this mean? Like, where, where is he headed with this? Uh, the world's going to hate us. Okay, uh, the, the, the tone of this prayer has shifted just a little bit. So, Jesus, where are you headed with this? So, I think they're kind of side-glancing to see what everybody's reaction is going to be. Uh, Jesus continues going on. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And I just want to talk a little bit about the journey that the disciples have been on in their lives, just, just so we can see like how this, how this fits in with what's going on with our lives, too, and our relationship with God, and how sometimes we don't make the connections, maybe, uh, that we could if we understood exactly what Jesus is saying when, when he's praying this prayer. Like, for example, the disciples, they all had different plans for their lives. Jesus was not, like, their end game when it came to them thinking about, oh, this is what we're going to do. Peter, James, uh, John, and Andrew, they were commercial fishermen, and so they probably were taking on the family business, and so they thought their whole thing was going to be casting nets, drawing in fish. Like, that was going to be their livelihood. That's the thing that they were going to do. Matthew, uh, he had a pretty cushy job. He was a tax collector. And so before Jesus, he probably, probably thought he was pretty set in what he was going to do, what he was going to be for the rest of his life, and, and probably was, was actually looking forward to some of those things in, in, in terms of what it meant to be a tax collector at, at that time in his life. And when Jesus comes along, he, he calls them away from that. He calls them from, to all, all kinds of different things that change their understanding of how their life should go and what it should look like. For over three years, they follow Jesus. They see him perform miracles. They listen to his teaching. They start to put it into practice in our lives. They saw unimaginable things. Uh, they heard uh, amazing things. Thousands of people would flock to see Jesus, and the disciples were right there with him all along. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, Matthew, Philip, Bartholomew, Bartholomew. Wow, that was more difficult for me to say out loud than I thought it would be. Another James, Jude, Simon, and even Judas. And they were going to see Jesus die at the hands of the religious leaders. They were going to be scattered as a result of that because they thought, oh, great, they're going to come kill us too because we've been following him so closely with, with our life. And then Jesus is going to raise from the dead. And then things are going to change for them because at that point, uh, because of what they saw, they would risk their lives to do what Jesus had called them to do. Before that, they weren't willing to. After they saw Jesus raise from the dead, they were willing to do that. The message of Jesus changed lives, it changed cultures, it changed families. But the disciples also recognized 
that it also uh, came with a price for their own lives, their own plans for, for themselves, their own self-directed, self-thinking uh, ways of approaching their life and what they thought, uh, what they sh- thought it should, should come out of it. And we know that most of them died a martyr's death as a result of them following Jesus in this way in their life. And so, to me, at that point, it's, it, it gives us pause, I think, to think about what Jesus' prayer of protection actually means for them. Because I know so many of us have experiences in our life where we're thinking, man, that's great that Jesus prayed prayer of protection over the disciples, but I don't feel very protected right now. The things that are going on in my life, the things that I've experienced, the circumstance that I find myself in, like the whole Jesus is going to take care of us, we don't have to worry or be anxious about thing, like things. I, I don't know that I'm really experiencing that the way that I thought, uh, the full measure of joy being a part of my life. Uh, from Jesus, like, I, I, I don't see where that's, where, that, where that's happening. And we can look at what happens with the disciples and think, man, I, I, don't, I don't really don't see how this prayer of protection from Jesus, God in the flesh, was really all that effective. And what it does, I think, is it causes us to pause and think about what Jesus was concerned about what we are pre- protected from. Some of the key reminders from Jesus in this passage are, are things like this. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Sometimes it's a shock to our system, especially if we're newly following Jesus and we're not familiar with the ins and outs of what that looks like. Yet maybe we don't know everything yet, which none of us do, and we're continually learning, and all that's great. And maybe it's a shock to our system sometimes when what's happening around us in the world doesn't mesh up with what is happening with what Jesus is calling us to. And so sometimes those create pretty uh, difficult things for us in our life, and it feels like we're exposed as a result of that, not very protected. The world will hate them. Uh, for being my disciples is what Jesus says in his prayer. And maybe we see that and think, uh, man, this is, this is not how it should be. But then we listen to what Jesus actually says about our identity, who we are, and where we belong, and we recognize this world is not our home. And so it, it makes sense that some of the physical and emotional things that we experience here that don't feel like we're protected from, that, that those things are not as important as what Jesus actually hopes that we're protected from, and that's the things that happen to us spiritually. Jesus says that you protect them from the evil one. The evil one's goal is that we would be separated from God and that we would be separated from each other. That's why Jesus prays for the disciples to be unified under the name of Jesus, the holy name of Jesus. This is not about physical protection, although that absolutely should be a part of our prayer life, and that's great. God cares about what happens to us physically and emotionally and mentally. Um, But when he tells us in in Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul identifies the full armor of God, that's about what's happening to us spiritually because that directs how we think about uh, everything else that happens to us in our life. Um, When Jesus is praying for protection from the evil one, and he's thinking about the ramifications of evil, it's, it's not just about our physical lives being uncomfortable, but it's about our spiritual lives being misdirected into a whole other direction other, other than God. And finally, he says, another key phrase that Jesus uses as a reminder for what this looks like in our life is he says, sanctify, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. Being sanctified by truth as defined by God's word and what he's preserved for us for thousands of years to know about who he is, his character, his nature, and what he's called us to do and be. Sanctify means to be set apart and to be holy. And so this meshes so well with what Jesus is praying for in his disciples and what actually happens in their life. 
the habit that we get to when this doesn't guide our, our, our thinking, uh, being sanctified by God's truth, is that we spiritualize our own truth while ignoring the truth that God has for us in his word. And so we go based on how we think things ought to be or things the way that we want to experience them versus the way that maybe we are and what God has called us to. And we see a disconnect there. And when we aren't being sanctified by God's truth, then we take our own and put that at the forefront. Um, when we're surprised by something that God's word says, that God's word calls us to, and we're shocked by that, and we don't want to do it, and we don't follow through with it, like that's one of the indicators that we're missing out on, on this protection that God wants for us in this life. The knowledge of God does little to protect us if we don't put it into practice. And when we do, like the disciples, that which harms us physically is inconsequential to that which gives us joy spiritually. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they, the disciples, us, may have the full measure of my joy within them. This is something that comes with, along with commitment and growth and experience. Every single one of us, uh, every time we come up against something that challenges us, that rocks our faith, that, that shakes us to our core, the reminder we need is the truth. Not just that we read, but that we experience when we live out the truth of Jesus as we're sanctified to raise the measure of joy within us to fullness. And we do that for and with each other. That's why our faith is communal, and we're called to do this as disciples with each other. Learning what Jesus taught, what he stood for, what he died for, what he rose for, knowing his truth and living by it is the single most life-altering, world-changing thing we can do. And it's possible because God came here to make it so. And so being a disciple of the truth of Jesus protects us to be able to experience the joy of Jesus. It's, it's a part of, of how we're called to live out our faith in God. It's Jesus' prayer for the disciples and their unity in the name of Jesus and their commitment to the truth of God's word that compels us to continue to live out and continue to spread out that same joy that reflects the world that we're made for rather than the shadow of, the world, of that world that we're living in now. And so I just, I, I want to encourage you to make this prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples the same prayer that you recognize as Jesus desiring for you as a disciple, and the same prayer that you pray for your fellow disciples, your fellow believers and followers of Jesus. That these are the things that as we put them more and more into practice and, and I know and I understand as a church family and as a congregation uh, that we're all in different places in our faith. Some of us have been believers and have been disciples of Jesus for years and years and years. Some of us are new to it. Some of us are not even sure that we buy in yet. But as we put that into practice more and more in our life and we do that together, it strengthens us. It brings us closer to God. It gives us more opportunity to share that love and grace and mercy that God offers to us through Jesus with others. And it helps us to experience more and more that full measure of joy that Jesus desired for all of his disciples. It's my prayer for this church. It's, it's my hope that the, we would adopt this prayer together as individual believers and that we would live this out together as a congregation of believers. Let's pray as, as we make this prayer of Jesus our prayer as well. God, we, it, is, it is a 
an incredible thing to think about your presence here in the flesh, praying for us and with us and over us, that, that you would even consider involving us at all in the equation. God, to have this image of Jesus being with his disciples, that he's, he's praying over specifically for them, knowing what was to come and knowing what, was, what they were to experience, and, and knowing that on the other side of that, that anything they came up against in this world would be washed, washed away because of what you've done through Jesus is, is humbling. And God, we, we ask for space to pause and to reflect on the depth of meaning that these words from Jesus have for us, the implications that they have for how we follow you, how it makes a difference in our life, and how it makes a difference in the world around us. God, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you remind us that you are, you are with us continually. There's never a time that you aren't with us and that you're continually spurring us on to experience this full joy that Jesus offers to all. God, we praise you for this. We honor you for this. We give you glory uh, for this as we gather here this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.